Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Shooting the Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Welcome into episode 14. John, how are we doing today? Can't complain. It's one day from uh, Friday, so we're doing well. How about you? I'm doing excellent. I'm actually leaving for a little mini vacation tonight, uh, so I'm just kind of waiting to leave for that. Leaving about midnight tonight, heading down to the Smoky Mountains, going to play a little golf. Looking forward to that. It's going to be going to be a good time. How many rounds are you playing? Uh, playing two rounds, playing uh, Saturday and Sunday, playing in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and then in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So it should be fun. A couple of, a couple of nice courses in the mountains. Going to be a good time. And uh, okay. speaking of golf, speaking of golf, the Open Championship is going on this weekend at the, at the old course out in Scotland. Uh, Tiger Woods actually uh, took the last tournament off, the last major, took that off to rest up for the Open Championship. Uh, he's a three-time winner of the Open Championship, which is, uh, you know, last, I think his last win came in 2006. So, you know, he's looking to, looking to make another, you know, give him another major in his back pocket. Unfortunately, though, I don't, I don't have high hopes for him making the cut this time around. Um, I checked the standings right before we started recording. And at the time of this recording, he was plus five, tied for 146. So not looking good for him right now. Not off to the best start. And let me ask you, what do you, what are your thoughts on, on Tiger right now? Uh, personally, I just have a bad feeling that we've seen the last of what we consider, you know, Tiger Woods being the goat. I just, um, what are your feelings on that? Seen, I don't think we've seen the last of him as far as being the goat. I definitely think he's going to take a little bit of time. I do. I would be willing to bet he's got one more major championship left in him. That's going to be my prediction. I do think it will take, I do think it'll be next season by the time he's back. I think he's going to take this season just to get back uh, during the offseason, rehab, get his mind and body right even more so. Um, So obviously, do I think he's past the prime where he can just come in and dominate? I would agree with you. But, um, you know, I've always stuck by the phrase, don't bet against Tiger, just like you don't bet against Michael. So I'm going to go with, I think he's got one more left in him. Yeah, you know, and I I felt that way at first when when he first came back, but I just, I'm at the point now and, and I hear you, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that the, uh, an entire off season will, will help him, um, help him get his body back. Right. But the way I see it, he's had a lot of time to rest and heal that body, you know, in preparation for these tournaments, especially this open championship, he took extended time off just to prepare and heal up for that. I just, I have a bad feeling that that injury severely altered the way he's swinging a club. And I think, I think deep down he knows that he's not going to be able to compete at a high level anymore. Um, but, you know, that's the beauty of golf. He could come out and have a couple great days and, you know, finish top five and maybe even get a win. I don't know. I don't know if he'll win another major, but I'm looking forward to seeing how he, how he progresses, you know, going into next season. If and he, I if definitely he think he's like this. If he plays like this next season, I, I will 100% agree with you. I, I want to give him one more season. I want to give him an off season, a full off season where he can get back at it, participate, practice, you know, at full strength, and then I'd be ready to make that call. Um, as of right now, I'm not ready to make that call. I still do think he has one major left in him. Yeah, because I, uh, I think he knows after playing these last few majors, I think he knows what he needs to work on and what what part of his body, obviously the leg, but specifically – what parts he needs to strengthen and work on. And yeah, hopefully he can get it. Uh, hopefully he can get it all figured out and come back and compete at a high level again. 
like I said, though, unfortunately it's from what I'm seeing, I, I don't, I don't know if that's going to, going to happen, but again, hopefully, hopefully he proves me wrong. I, I think he will. Like I said, I'm, I'll be willing to make that call later. Um, I think, you know, you can always make the argument that he rushed back um, to prove people wrong, even though what he did was incredible. You know, should he, should he have come back? Mm, I mean, you can always make the argument, probably not, with the way he's playing. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I think one more one more season, and then I'll be ready to make that call either way. For sure. And I was saying, you know, I hope he, I'm hoping he proves me wrong. Speaking of proving wrong, how about your Baltimore Orioles right now proving everybody wrong on their oh, first man. ten game win streak since Cal Ripken Jr. was in the starting lineup, nineteen ninety nine. Thank you for jinxing us already. <laughs> I I noticed that, you know, I've been paying attention to the Orioles. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the new catcher, Adley Rutschman. I'm following him a lot. Um, obviously noticing that the Orioles are playing pretty good. Uh, shout out to a couple of their pitchers, Jordan Lyles and Spencer Watkins. Last 10 games, the two of them are combined 4-0 and with a 1.73 ERA. They have been just lights out. They've been putting the bat on the ball. They've been scoring. They're only two games back of the, the last wild card spot. So, you know, good luck to them the rest of the way. They're playing great baseball, and I don't think anybody's seen them in the running for a wild card spot this year. No, I mean, you know, I, I'm a huge Orioles fan. Shout out Baltimore. Um, our biggest thing has always been consistency. Obviously, we're putting that together with our 10-game win streak, but our biggest thing is we've always played very well before the All-Star break. And then the all-star break is kind of when things go downhill. So um, I'm definitely hopeful. Um, You know, we haven't had strong pitching like this in a while. A lot of times we have strong hitters and we end up trading them away. So I'm I'm definitely glad to see that we have a younger bullpen that's coming through and everything. But um, being the pessimistic, realistic Orioles fan that I am, um, I'll be shocked if we get in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, they it's kind of like the you know, kind of like the Lions or or the Jets, you know, when they're playing well, it's like, well, yeah, they got a great team, but, you know, it's the Jets. For example, the Browns a few years ago, they had a really good team. They had a great team. They got they had Odell, brought him in. They had Nick Chubb. They had Baker. Everybody had high hopes for him. But in the end, they were the Browns. So, you know, again, I hope, I hope for the Orioles' sake that they end up playing well and uh, can make that last wild card spot. I'd like to see I'd like to see Rutschman in the in the playoffs and see what he can do there. Struggling a little bit right now, but you know, like I said, good luck to them rest of the way, and definitely gonna be rooting for him. I'm not an Orioles fan, but I'll secretly be rooting for him over in the American League. Hey, we need it. <laughs> and one last thing I want to talk about that's been happening recently. I don't know if you've seen this, but Mike Gundy, head coach of Oklahoma State, recently made comments regarding University of Texas, University of Oklahoma. Um, they, the big 12 is having their conference meetings right now for all the big, you know, the coaches and the ADs and everybody that are the big, big wigs of those schools. And he basically said that if he was the commissioner of the big 12, he would not allow Texas or Oklahoma to attend those conference meetings since they've already announced that they're going to be leaving in a few years. Now, my question to you is, do you agree with him? If you were the commissioner of the big 12, would you allow schools that have already announced that they're going to be switching conferences to attend conference meetings? So, no, I, I, I 100% agree with Mike Gundy's statement. I think, I think for me it's 
not even just their fault though. So I, I definitely understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, I, I feel like if Texas and Oklahoma could have already moved, they would have. I don't like that there's that waiting period that they have to wait to move. But at the same time, Texas and Oklahoma have to still – it's not like their school is going to get put on hold. It's not like their sports are going to get put on hold. They still have to conduct business as usual. So I think Mike Gundy's statements are valid. I think they are heard. I think at the end of the day, that's not really Texas and Oklahoma's fault because they are being made to have to wait. Yeah, that's the – I, I agree with you. That's a that's a tricky area, kind of a slippery slope there. Because like again, like you said, they're still going to have to play in that conference next year. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, at the end of this season, starting the following season will be when they will start in the SEC, correct? Correct. Okay. So yeah, so they're still going to have to play another year in the Big Twelve, under Big Twelve rules, you know, following all their guidelines. So I, yes, I, I think they should at least be aware of what's going on in the conference. I mean, if they, if they break a conference rule, I'm assuming the conferences have specific rules teams have to follow and schools have to follow. If they are still required to follow the big 12 rules, then yeah, they should be allowed in there. But again, yes, I agree with him. I don't think it's fair because yeah, now they're going to take the knowledge they have, you know, and we don't know what's said at these meetings. We have no idea what they're talking about at these meetings, but I'm assuming that there are things that you can take to another conference and use to your advantage when you play those schools. And nine times out of 10, if OU is going to play a team out of the big 12 in the future, it's going to be most likely in the playoffs or in the national championship type game. So those games are going to mean a little bit more. I don't know if the information they're getting from these meetings is really going to matter that much. But yeah, I definitely see where he's coming from. But again, like I said, it's a, it's a slippery slope. I don't know that I don't know they're going to get much, much use in future games from the knowledge they're gaining from these meetings. So I think he's just trying to stir the pot right now, get them guys riled up, uh, seeing that they're leaving, you know, it's not really hurting him or his, his school. So I'm not looking too much into these comments, but I do think that there's something to think about with these different schools that are that are switching conferences. I definitely think there needs to be less of a waiting period with these schools switching and they, things need to be finalized quicker to when they're actually going to be switching conferences. I 100% agree. I mean, there's got to be a way to shorten that up. Um, and I think that actually brings us to our first topic, Nick. What, what are your thoughts on these schools moving conferences, you know, obviously it started with Oklahoma and Texas and there's been kind of a, just a domino effect. Like what, what do you, how how do you feel about it? Do you, do you like it? Do you agree with it? What are your thoughts on it? You know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, It's reminding me a lot of the NBA building super teams, you know, two or three, all-stars, all-NBA guys joining up on the same team, and now you're having four or five mega schools joining one conference, and you know, and they're, they're calling them mega conferences now. And I, I think it's good for I think it's good for the top end of the, of the college football realm. But when you're a bottom school, meaning you know schools that aren't always competing for national titles. For example, like we'll just take like an Iowa out of the Big Ten. You know, most years Iowa's not competing for a Big Ten championship. 
they're not competing to go to the college football playoffs. They were decent the last few years, but for the most part, we'll just use them as, as an example. I think that's hurting schools like Iowa now. You know, yes, there's going to be more opportunity for them to win their conferences now with these big names out, but what weight are those conferences going to hold now that those schools are gone? If all the big name schools are all in three or four conferences now, if that's the, you know, that's the direction we're going, what is that going to do for the schools that stay in those original conferences? The Big Ten's not going to hold as much weight if schools are leaving. The Big 12 now with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, wins in that conference aren't going to mean as much now. So it, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a story of, you know, the rich get richer. And like I said, I think it's good for college football. You know, people are going to watch more games. There's going to be better teams playing each other, but I don't know. I just, part of me doesn't agree with it, but like I said, I think it's going to make for more exciting games. They're going to put, you know, they're going to put these big schools playing against each other on TV more, and it's going to be good for the overall viewership of college football. But yeah, I think, I think in the long run, I think it's going to hurt, hurt college football. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at this. We're going to, I'm going to bring out a little conspiracy theory in this. Okay. Um, I think we should blow up the whole thing. Okay. Interesting. I think, I think it shouldn't be SEC. It shouldn't be big 12. It shouldn't be big 10. The best of the best will play each other. And that's that. I feel like it should go more NFL style. You have your East. I'm sorry. You have your, um, you know, NFC and you have your AFC, you have your East and you have your West. And I think it should just be, 10, 20 teams that play each other on each side. I think it should be the South. So, for instance, I think it should be like the SEC, the ACC, um, and Big Ten. Combine them, throw them in, play play one, have the conferences, but they all throw in one time. Certain number of them get into the playoffs. Same thing on the other side. You have the Big 12, the MAC, the MAC 10, the Pac-12, all of that, and then what will happen is what will happen as far as the playoffs go to the NFL style playoffs, because you're already seeing so many teams right now that are shuffling to get into a more competitive league. So that their one or two losses don't matter. Let's, let's stop playing it like that. They're already talking about extending the playoffs. Let's just go ahead and draw a line down the fucking map and let's play football. So what is that going to do to schools? Like say like a Boise state, you know, they're out in the, out in the whack way out, way out west you know they're not really televised a whole lot they they are but it's late at night west coast times when most of the country's in bed you know or out partying on a friday or saturday night um what's that going to do for a team like boise state who is not in a major conference but once in a while has a team that goes undefeated and is good enough to compete on a national playoff stage? Well, I think that's why it should go to a larger stage. I think it should be, I I think it should be one of those where it it should mirror almost college basketball in a sense. And I'm not saying let's throw 64 football teams in there. Do not hear what I'm not saying, but I do think we should have 12, 16, maybe 20, something like that. And you have automatic bids and you have at-large bids. That way the smaller schools feel like they have a shot to get in and can play with the best of the best. And let's figure out if they can play with the best of the best. 
And then you still have your regular power conferences. I think it should mirror a lot like the way college basketball is on a smaller scale. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot, actually. You know, taking, I've always thought that they should expand the college football playoff even more so than what they already kind of did. Um, and you if know, they're worried about how many games they're going to get, then cut the games down. You know, not everyone has to play each other. You do it on a rotating schedule. Play seven, eight, nine games, still do the college selection. And then, you know, I mean, when you look at Texas high school football, they have a huge bracket the way they play and everything like that. And honestly, this eliminates the need for all those extra bowl games. Every game matters. And, you know, in the end, everyone's going to make more money because you have those smaller schools that are going to go for those at-large bids. You have the big schools that are going to get the TV money. And then at that point, every single playoff game matters. Every single bowl game matters. Yeah, that's a, that is an excellent idea. I I love that idea of having at-large bids for the college football playoff. Uh, I, you know, I think they should go from at least four to 16 and, by doing that, I think I think college football works a little bit differently than college basketball does. It's more likely that a tiny school that's a 15 seed upsets a number two seed, you know, than it is somebody like Western Carolina or some, you know, a very small D1 school upsetting somebody like an Alabama or a Georgia. That's not likely to happen, or not as likely to happen like it is in college basketball. So what I think they should propose sticking with what you just said, 16 teams, you know, 12 or 14 of them are the top 12 or 14 teams. And then you take two or four at large bids into, you know, from smaller conferences, smaller schools, and based on record strength, of schedule, however, those computers figure it out, you know, keep your same, keep your same rankings. However you determine rankings, keep that same, same deal. And yeah, give a couple small schools a chance to get in there and play. For example, last year, what was it? Uh, Utah. They were 10 and 4. They finished, I think, 12th in the country. Uh, they I believe they lost their last game, but so 10 and 3 going into that final week. And I believe they were ranked top 10. You know, a school like that, Utah's probably not going to qualify under your guidelines as a major conference, top tier, you know, top tier team. They would be in the running for an at large bid. A team like Louisiana last year. Shout out Raging Cajuns, 13 and one, finished 16th in the country. That'd be a couple a perfect... years ago. UCF that won Alabama. UCF was they... undefeated for multiple yeah. years, I believe, recently. Um, teams so, like that, those would be perfect candidates to, if they're good enough, you should be able to qualify as an at-large bid. I think a, yeah. an undefeated UCF would qualify. You know, and not just that. For me, it gives teams the opportunity. If anything, I feel like it would also make college football rankings a lot easier. So, yeah, you would still have your regular rankings. But then when it comes to if you go bracket style, you can have multiple number ones. You can have multiple number twos. We're not having that discussion a lot anymore on who should be ranked ahead of who because now you're able to give more flexibility on who to place where. Yes, it's not going to be a perfect system, just like the college basketball system isn't. But you always hear so much about who's being left out in college football. And you only hear about a couple snubs here and there with college basketball. People are really upset by who's left out, with the exception of a couple teams in a couple years, because most of the times they're right on point with what they do. And then at that point, 
Because what's the one thing college football argues about all the time that college basketball does too is resume, but resume doesn't seem to matter as much in college football. Doing nope. it this way makes your resume matter. Yeah. Yeah. When Alabama loses two games, they might fall to fourth or fifth. You know, mm-hmm. a team like Michigan State or Oklahoma loses two games, they might be down in 15th, 16th. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, resume. They say it means a lot, but I think it really is just how good your potential is. I think but there's a lot of a lot of the rankings as far as college football goes, whether they're going to admit it or not, I think it's based on how good we think this team is. We think Alabama's the best team in the country, so we're not going to drop them very far because we think they're the best team. You know, I I feel like there's a lot of that in college football, but I don't know. I uh I like that. I think that they they should take, they have the four teams that play right now in the playoff. I think if you had four brackets like that, four brackets of four teams, the four winners play each other, have a sweet 16 in college football. That would be, that'd be awesome. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I I agree with that because here, and here's why I'm going to take it a step further. Everyone already thinks the college playoffs should be extended to eight teams, right? Right. Let's go ahead and do that and give you your sweet 16. We'll do the top eight from the rankings, okay? And they will represent the major conferences. So here's where here's where the conspiracy and here's where the, I guess you could say, the, the, the saltiness is going to come in. One conference can't have all their teams. Mm-hmm. You have to give eight at-large bids, okay? Eight teams get automatically in and eight auto, and eight are... Um, are at-large bids, you know. So yes, you still have your top schools and everything like that. But then you can make the argument for the undefeated schools. Then you can make your argument: Do I really want an Ohio State that's lost three games but is ranked tenth, or do I want a US UCF team that is ranked sixteen in there for at-large bids? That to me is more interesting. Eight automatic bids. If we're already going to build super conferences, then let's just go ahead and build the damn thing. Top four from each conference, two big super conferences, top four from each, and then eight at-large bids, and let's call it a day. I don't know if that would ever fly, but I'm I'm with you. I think that would shake things up, and I think that would be a lot of fun. I think we can both agree that the way college football is operating right now and the, the direction they are headed, they're already getting away from your typical college sports, meaning... In college basketball, you play a conference schedule every year and you compete in your conference tournament. I think college football is working towards just kind of being a general, you know, we play the best schools, kind of like an IMG Academy. They just travel around and play the best high schools every year. You know, that's that's their schedule. They're not in a conference, really. They just go around and play the best schools. I think that's the direction college football is heading. You know, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I think they're kind of stepping away from your typical college season schedule. I agree. And I think, I, I, I just think some of these, some of these schools deserve to play some like, so here's the thing about it. And I guess here's where, here's where it becomes hard to build your resume because some of these schools, like your USC, your UCFs, Right, Boise State. Mm-hmm. They want to schedule these big schools, but none of these big schools want to schedule them because they're not quite bad enough to where they know they can win. There's a chance they get beat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're the big schools are scared to get beat. I think there I think there needs to be some sort of if the NCAA if the NCAA is letting these kids and these coaches and everyone do 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 make money off of this, then why don't they do something to earn their money? Mm-hmm. Let them start scheduling. The the NFL runs their schedule. They don't get to choose who they're playing. Their schedule comes out some years. Their schedule is the death the death schedule. Some years it's the easy schedule. Let the NCAA schedule. Yeah, let, and and let schools still have an input on. Let them give suggestions on who they'd like to play. You know, and take those suggestions. And if they work out, they work out. If you can't fit it in, then so be it. But yeah, I agree. I think the NCAA should should make the schedule for for teams. I agree. But you know, we've been talking an awful lot about football, and it's it's kind of getting me a little little antsy here. Uh, we only have, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we only have 53 days before our league's fantasy football draft. We always draft super, super late. I know most of most people's drafts are going to be way before that. We always draft Labor Day about 7, 8 o'clock at night. That's our time to draft. It's been that way for five, six years now. 53 days away, that's, that's not a whole lot of time. Like I said last week on our, on our episode, we're going to be talking a lot more about fantasy football. And all this college football talk, it's like I said, it's got me getting a little antsy here. What do you say we talk about a little college football, or excuse me, a little uh, fantasy football today and uh, talk about some sleepers? We'll get into you would never ask. get into the get into the feel of things a little bit. Um, I think, you know, I think it's it's getting close and we're going to have to we're going to start, you know, start talking a lot more about it. I know at some point we're going to do a big Fantasy ranking, you know, final fantasy ranking once it gets a little closer to draft time. Um, that'll be a huge episode. I know that'll, you know, we'll probably talk nothing about that. We'll do maybe do a mock draft or something like that, but definitely give our rankings as far as uh, as far as what we collectively think is going to, how we collectively think players are going to finish up. But let's get into those sleepers today. I think we might as well start off with quarterbacks. Who, uh, who you got for your for your sleeper quarterback? So for me, I am going, and it pains me to say it, but I am going to go with the Patriots quarterback, Mac Jones. Okay. Okay. Um, last year finished 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Didn't really have um, any talent that was staying healthy. You know, the Patriots signed their two tight ends, couldn't stay healthy. Um, had a little bit of rushing here and there. Averaged about 13.2 fantasy points per game. I think as he gets more comfortable, Bill Belichick is going to let him off his leash. I think with the fact that McDaniels was the offensive coordinator, the guru, um, still last year, um, I think they get a chance to run a new system. I'm interested to see how Mac does in that system. You know, that was the first season Josh McDaniels ever worked with someone that really wasn't Tom Brady. Um, I... And after looking at the top 10, top 12, I definitely think Matt Jones can get in there. Okay. Okay. Now, before I, before I, you know, counter any of your points here, I just want to start off by saying when we talk about a sleeper, that is somebody that is getting taken late in drafts. For example, Mac Jones is being taken as quarterback 19 in across all platforms for fantasy football drafts up to this point. So he is the 19th quarterback drafted out of all fantasy football leagues, most likely not being drafted in 10 man leagues, 
probably being drafted in 12 man leagues. But when we say sleeper, we're saying somebody that is be, you know, being taken late right now that we think has the potential to not necessarily be a quarterback one or a running back one, but somebody that is going to make a significant leap from their ADP. So like John just said, he believes Mac Jones has that potential to crack the top 10, top 12, which top 12 is considered, you know, a quarterback one. Most leagues are 12. Ours, for example, is 10, but most are 12. So you think he could go from 12 to 19, from 19 to 12? I don't know. I think that's going to be very hard for him to do. Um, the, the Pats threw the ball to wide receivers, eighth fewest in the league last year. So out of all their passes, the percentage that went to wide receivers was the eighth fewest in the NFL. It's going to be hard to make a big leap when you throw checkdowns a lot. They throw a lot to the running backs, to the tight ends. I, I, it's going to be hard to make a living that way, you know, and you know how I feel about Alabama quarterbacks. We've talked about this. Ken Stabler, Joe Namath were the last relevant Alabama quarterbacks, and they played in the 70s. So the guys they have right now, the newer ones that have come in, Tua, Hurts, they're they're playing decent, they're playing well, but A.J. McCarron had a decent season or two. Look how he turned out. My thing with Mac Jones, they brought in Devontae Parker, but he missed seven games last year. If he's inconsistent and you know he's already coming to a new team, if he's going to be hurt and playing inconsistent games, it's going to be hard for him and Jones to, you know, get that rapport going. And I don't know that he's going to be able to get it done with just Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne. That's going to be tough. And we both know that the Patriots love their running back by committee. They rushed the ball the six most in the NFL last year, had the six fewest amount of passes. I, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. For me, here's the thing. You can make the same argument when Tom Brady first came onto the scene. You know, no one knew who Julian Edelman was. No one knew who Rob Gronkowski was. No one knew who Aaron Hernandez was. The The Patriots, call it what you will, have an eye for picking out talent. Yeah. So, yes, Jacoby Myers might not have a good year. We don't know what's going to happen this year. For all we know, they could have limited Matt Jones the same way I can make the argument. They limited, to a certain extent, Josh Allen his first year to get him comfortable, to get him confidence. So the reason why I think you can make the jump from 19 to 12 is you always see that jump from first to second year or that dip. I truly believe Matt Jones is going to have that success, and he's more comfortable. He's more comfortable with his team. He's more comfortable with commanding the pocket he's more comfortable commanding the huddle so for me when I see all of these different quarterbacks with new teams and losing some of their you know star talent I see a perfect storm I see a way for Mac Jones to crack the top 12 but also for some of these guys that we think are gonna finish in the top 12 to slide down a little bit yeah you know and I, I, I can definitely see the path. I, I, I see your arguments, and I, I can see the path for him. Like I said, it, for me, the Patriots have always been known to use that running back by committee ever since I've been doing fantasy football. That's kind of always been their MO. Even with Tom Brady, they you know, aside maybe from the year they had Brady and Moss, but they've generally been a running back by committee team. And I don't know. Like I said, I think it's just going to be tough with that style of play to for him to take that leap. But you could be right, you know, if uh, if that was their game plan to kind of hold him back and just get him acclimated to managing games. Yeah, they, they might turn him loose this year. Let me ask you a question before we move to my quarterback sleeper. 
Mac Jones or Kirk Cousins? Hmm. I knew you were going to ask me that. Ooh. I'll go Kirk Cousins just because of Justin Jefferson. Okay. Okay. Just for comparison, Kirk Cousins is being taken as quarterback 15 right now um, compared to Jones' 19, so pretty similar. Uh, one last one, Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Keep in mind his... Uh, Mac Jones. Okay, I was going to say, keep in mind, Justin Fields has a lot better legs than Mac Jones does. Mac Jones. Okay, okay. So my quarterback sleeper, I am going to go with a guy that's being taken at quarterback 18, one spot above Mac Jones, and that is the also the second-year guy, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, pretty simple. No more Urban Meyer. That's my argument. <sighs> no, I'm kidding. That's not just my only argument, but that is a huge, huge part of my argument. No more Urban Meyer. Um, Doug Peterson should come in and put him in a better position to succeed. He has done it in the past with other quarterbacks. Sam Bradford had his best year as a pro with Doug Peterson as his quarterback coach. So Peterson knows what he's doing with young quarterbacks. Um, And I think we can both agree that the Jags were an absolute dumpster fire last year. And Trevor Lawrence finished quarterback 22 on a absolute garbage team. Um, Threw the ball 602 times, proved that he has the arm to sling it all year long. So if that's the style they want to go where they're just going to let Trevor throw it all day long, he's proved that he can do that. He has the second easiest schedule among all quarterbacks this year for fantasy football. That's a huge, huge stat for me. Um, but I think Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, LaVisca, they've drafted Zay Jones. ETN's coming back, should be healthy. Once James Robinson gets healthy, they're going to have a nice one-two punch at running back um, to kind of counterbalance that that passing attack, which – you know, it should open things up for him, but I think he's got the opportunity to make that second year leap. A lot of great quarterbacks have made that leap in year two, which is kind of funny that we both picked second year quarterbacks here. Um, I think with a better coach, more weapons, he could make that jump into quarterback one territory. Just a little stat for you. The average for the top 10 quarterbacks last year was 34 touchdowns, 11 and a half interceptions. I see him... Definitely improving his touchdown total from 12 last year. I think that's a given um, with the new quarterback, new system they're going to be running. I don't think he throws 17 picks again. That's going to come down. Even if he doubles them touchdowns, cuts the interceptions down to about 9 or 10, I think that puts him around that quarterback one territory, fringe quarterback one territory, um, and which to me would be a huge jump from 18th. So I'm going to respectfully, wholeheartedly disagree with you for the same reasons that you just gave me for Mac Jones. The Jaguars spent so much fucking money on wide receivers that have never been the guy. So you're asking these wide receivers to be the guys with a second-year quarterback who they have never worked with? At least Mac Jones has worked with 90% of his core people. Well, the only guy he brought in that hasn't played with him before, obviously other than the rookie, is Christian Kirk. He had LaVisca and Marvin Jones last year. They already have the rapport with Trevor Lawrence. But what did they do? Well, that's what I said at the beginning, though. The Jags were a dumpster fire with Urban Meyer last year. that, That offense was terrible. Urban Meyer had no business being there calling plays. Agreed. 
No business. So I don't look at Trevor Lawrence's numbers from last year as that's the kind of player he is. His numbers were a reflection of the man calling the plays for him. His numbers reflected the type of coach Urban Meyer was. My belief is that with Doug Peterson coming in, who is a much better coach and has that track record with young quarterbacks, I think he puts Trevor in that position to succeed this year. And I don't think that any of them necessarily have to be the guy. I think they can all, like a running back by committee, I think this can be a wide receiver by committee type thing. You know, if Zay- Okay, so let me counter that point. Name one team that that has worked for with a successful quarterback with a wide receiver by committee and not having a guy. Off the top of my head, touche. I, I probably can't name one off the top of my head. Um, but that's not to say it can't work, you know? It's not to say it can't I'm work. I'm not saying it can't work. What I am saying is there's usually a guy, you know, and like I think the closest example you could pull is the Cincinnati Bengals because they had T. Higgins, Boyd, and Jamar Chase, and even still, Jamar Chase made himself the guy. And when he wasn't the guy that game, someone else stepped up. For me, it's not that I don't believe in Trevor Lawrence's ability. I do think, and I've gone on record and said, I think he's going to be a good to great quarterback before his career is over. Mm -hmm. I do. He has intangibles. He has an arm. He has great vision. He has great accuracy. But he doesn't have enough talent surrounding him. We don't know what the running backs are going to look like. We don't know what ETN is going to look like when he comes back. Well, I'm glad you mentioned ETN because I, I really think that a lot of this depends on the type of player ETN is once he gets playing. They drafted him as a dual threat pass catching running back with Alvin Kamara type attributes. If he can showcase that, I think it makes it much more likely that Trevor Lawrence makes that leap. Let's get to your running back. Who do you have for running back? So mine is Arizona Cardinals running back James Conner. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, it's very simple. The man only had 752 yards last year, but a total of 15 touchdowns with three touchdowns receiving, averaged about 14.7 points a game, and he had another running back that was taking third downs. This year, he will be the guy. Now, I already know what the argument is, so let's just get it out of the way. Can the man stay healthy? Yes, Drafting James Conner comes with an extreme risky price tag. You know the man is not going to be able to stay healthy. Or is he? Because last year he played 15 games. 2020, he played 13 games. It was the three years before that that he wasn't playing that well. 17, 14 games. 18, 13 games. 19, 10 games. It seems like he has gotten over that injury hump. Now, whether he's going to be a three-down back guy, I don't think so, but I definitely don't think there's going to be anyone in the running back room that's going to take a majority of the snaps from him. So for me, with where he is ranked right now as the running back 16, I can definitely see a path where the man cracks the top 10 running backs. I 100% disagree with this one. Um, He's being taken, like you said, 15-16 right now. I think that ADP is, first of all, I think that's a little high to be considered a sleeper. Um, but I see what you're saying from 15, 16 up to the top 10, that's a heck of a leap. So I can, I can see why you picked him. I just don't think 15 touchdowns is sustainable from year to year. 
Uh, I don't think that's realistic. I think his he had 16 carries inside the five-yard line last year. Ten of them were touchdowns out of 16 carries. By far the most in the NFL. No one was even close to that. I don't think that's realistic to happen again. Just not likely. And if he even matches his season totals from last year, reception for reception, yard for yard on rushes, and ends up with the same amount of touchdowns as his career average, which is about seven, he's going to end up with the same ADP, about 15, 16. That's where he's going to end up based on where running backs finished last year. He'll finish around running back 15, 16. So I don't disagree that James Conner is a hell of a pick this year. If he is going to be your RB2 or your flex running back, I think that's a great pick. But I don't think it's realistic to assume that James Conner is going to be an RB1. But let me counter that because you say you don't think he can hold up to that touchdown stat, right? I No, I don't think 15 touchdowns I, is realistic. I, I don't completely disagree, but my point is, if not him, then who? Well... For the that's, first that's, that's, for the first six weeks opinion. for the if first six weeks he's going to get a lot then, of he should get a lot of red zone looks in the first six weeks, but once once that's up, you're going to bring DeAndre Hopkins into the mix, and he's going to eat a lot of those a lot of those red zone targets. And I don't think James Conner is a quote unquote goal line back. So I truly believe that they're going to bring somebody in to take that goal line work and those bruising carries, you know, those one, two yard chain movers. I don't think that's James Conner's role. I don't think that's his style. He had to play that style last year and Arizona just, they had a great season getting, getting into the red zone and, you know, he made the most of that, but I I think those numbers were, I think those numbers are outliers and I don't, I don't think that's realistically sustainable. I'm going to 100% disagree with you on that respectfully, because he was that guy. He was that guy in Pittsburgh when all the Le'Veon Bell stuff went. He was the bell cow. They ran him into the ground, and he produced. He did. With yards, with receptions, maybe not so much touchdowns because they did have a bit bigger bruiser for the goal line, but he's already shown that he can do that. And I would also make the argument that when DeAndre Hopkins comes back, that's even better for him because they have to respect the throwing game more spreading it out, and the man gets more receiving touchdowns. So 18 touchdowns total. Do I think his Do I think his rushing TDs go down? 100%. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But I can see him hitting 18 again with adding more receiving. Maybe the three or four that go down from rushing become receiving because at that point you're spread out. You have DeAndre Hopkins. They signed um, – Hollywood Brown, you still have Zach Ertz. If anything, in my opinion, it makes the world a lot easier for him. Okay. I mean, I I see your path. I can see it, but I don't agree with it. <laughs> uh, my running back, though, is going to be the RB19 right now and a guy that you don't even think deserves to be considered a sleeper. Nope. Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott, he's being taken as the RB19 right now. Let me just put it to you this way. Before you go on, let's just be clear. We qualify the sleepers that we think are going to finish well above them. As of this recording, Zeke is going ADP running back 19. Yep, he is the 19th running back off the board. That he will drop to within the top 15, even top 10, 
because right now I think people are skittish because of the whole Tony Pollard thing. So with that being said, I just want to be clear. This was 100%. Well, I'll put it to you this way. But I do not think Zeke should be. I'll put it to you this way. And that's totally fine. I'll say this. You had James Conner, who is RB 15, 16, going top 10. I would still pick Zeke, even if he was being taken as RB 15. I would pick him to take. Continue your argument. I'll pick him to finish inside that top 10. Because get this. Zeke has never finished outside of the top 10 as far as running backs go. The only outlying season was 2017 when he finished 12th, only playing 10 games. Now, he plays two more games and averages the same amount of points he averaged the rest of that season. He is easily inside the top 10. So there is no reason why Zeke should be taken RB19. I don't understand the Tony Pollard hype. Even in the weeks that Zeke did not play well last year, towards the end of the year, weeks 13 through 18, Zeke had three single-digit fantasy games. Pollard only averaged 8.7 points. He's not going off when Zeke doesn't play well. He's having 70-yard games with maybe a touchdown, couple receptions. Zeke had 1,000 yards last year, 10 touchdowns, caught 47 passes, and only has one fumble in his last 300 carries. Oh, And he played last year, most of last year, with a partially torn PCL in his knee. So I, this was a no-brainer for me. This was the easiest choice I made. I don't, I don't see a world where Zeke does not finish top 12. I mean, I don't disagree with you. Like I said, I've got no arguments. You and I talked a little bit about this yesterday. This is going to be the easiest one. I've got no arguments to counter this. Yeah. I don't think Zeke should be, I don't even think Zeke should be ranked running back 19. I 100% agree that he should probably be even ranked higher than James Conner. Um, I think the Tony Pollard, the only thing I will say is I think the Tony Pollard hype comes from the fact that um, he did have a couple good games. And you know as well as I do, fantasy football is a game of momentum. And Tony Pollard had the momentum, you know, ending the season last year. So for me, I think it'll work itself out. Um, Zeke has never finished outside the top 10. Do I think he's going to give you the consistency that the old Zeke gave you? Absolutely not. But with that being said, I do think he finds his way into the top 10. All right. Now that brings us to our wide receivers. Start us off. Who you got? So I'm going to stick with the Arizona Cardinals um, and the new flashy team. I am going with Marquise Hollywood Brown. To me, this was a no fucking brainer. And here is why. The man was already electric on a team that loved to run the ball. Yep. Even last year, still broke a thousand yards and six TDs on a team that was mainly running the ball. You're now putting him on a team that is an air raid team. Yes, there's DeAndre Hopkins who's going to come back afterwards. Yes, there's Connor, there's Earth, there's lots of talent to go around. Rondell Moore should step up in year two as well. Absolutely. No denying that. But for me, it's the simple fact that the man is a speedster. He knows he's a speedster and they can use him in other ways. For me, I see Hollywood Brown being a fringe wide receiver run with a high end wide receiver two upside. You know, when I was, when I was researching Hollywood Brown, I, it was hard for me to come up with anything just like with your, my Zeke argument, hard to come up with anything against this. Um, the only argument I can make, he has the fifth toughest schedule for wide receivers. Um, once Hopkins, Hopkins comes back, I'm just afraid that Hollywood's going to go to that deep threat, boomer bust type of fantasy player. 
Um, and out of your two sleepers, my feeling is if you think that James Conner will repeat his production, I don't see I don't see a path where James Conner and Hollywood Brown, you know, where James Conner repeats his production and Hollywood Brown makes that leap into the top ten. That's going to be tough you were to do. Say that. Here's why I think this. I think the if the man the man put up a thousand yards on a team that likes to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Granted, yes, he was the guy. Yeah. Bateman started becoming that guy towards the end, but for the most of the season, he was that guy. I know he's not going to be the guy on the Cardinals, but for me, he's he slotted he slotted in at 91 receptions. Let's say that goes up to 100, 110 because they do like to throw the ball a lot, mm-hmm. and the yards go up to about 1100. For me, that is enough to where he can still be fantasy relevant as a top 12 uh, wide receiver and still have James Conner as a top 10, top 12 running back. All they do is score. And in a division where you have to score to keep up, I, you know, I understand the Seahawks don't have Russ anymore. You know, the 49ers are still going to put on a clinic. You're still dealing with the LA Rams who are going to put on clinics. You've got to score in that division. And for me, that is what I am banking on. Hey, I respect it. Speaking of things that you're banking on, I'm banking on this next guy making a huge leap in his next season. Gabriel Davis being drafted as the wide receiver 31 from the Buffalo Bills. I'll be honest, this one here for me, it's it's, it's a gut feeling. He's going into his third season. He's still a very young receiver. He needs to improve his catch rate a little bit. I will admit that only 56% last year, uh, very similar to like numbers from Zach Pascal. Uh, not crazy great numbers, but he's on a high-powered offense. I believe the Bills will have the one-two punch at wide receiver this season. And what I mean by that is every year going back to at least 2012, there's been at least one team that has had two wide receivers in the top 16 in PPR scoring. Chargers did it last year, Seattle in 2020, the Rams 18 and 19. Josh Allen's the number one quarterback being taken for a reason. Gabriel Davis has moved up to number two on the depth chart because there's no Cole Beasley anymore. That's 112 targets that become available now. He had the same amount of targets over the final eight weeks as Cole Beasley. So Josh Allen's already looking his way. You talked about momentum. Well, the final eight games of the season for the Bills and into the playoffs Gabe Davis played outstanding. So my gut feeling this season and the reason that I'm picking Gabriel Davis, I think that him and Stefan Diggs both finish in the top 16 at the end of the year in PPR rankings. So him going, so, then, so I think he goes from wide receiver 31 into the top 16. So here's my argument to that. I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it at all, but if that's going to be your argument, can I not make the same argument for Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins considering the talent they have? Yes, Kyler Murray's not Josh Allen, but... Oh, you absolutely I, could. You absolutely could. Yeah. No, you, you 100% could. But I don't... I think with Hopkins missing six games, I think it's going to be hard for both of them to make the top 16. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I, 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 I think... Yeah, I definitely can see... Like I said, I can definitely see the path for Hollywood Brown to crack that top 12 wide receiver one territory. But I just, I don't know, something tells me that this is the year the Bills put it together. There's a lot of hype on Josh Allen right now, and I think that's for good reason. But let me, let me ask you this. Allen Robinson on the Rams or Gabe Davis on the Bills? 
Mm. Who, are you, who are you taking? If you if you're sitting there with the draft pick, Allen Robinson, Gabe Davis are staring you in the face. Who are you taking? I'm going Allen Robinson. I'm taking the talent at wide receiver, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm taking the talent at quarterback. I'm not saying Matt Stafford is more talented than Josh Allen. Matt Stafford knows how to spread the ball around. Okay. I'm I'm taking Allen Robinson. Okay. Last one: Darnell Mooney or Gabe Davis. Mooney uh, Mooney's Gabe on Davis. the Bears. Gabe Davis. Okay. All three of those guys are basically one, two, three, four, right in order uh, as far as ADP goes. You know, they're all and let me also be clear, they're all ranked right around reason, the same area. The only reason I'm a little down on Gabe Davis isn't even that I think he might be that much better than Allen Robinson because we haven't seen what Allen Robinson really will be. For me, I think the Bills made it very apparent they want to improve their run game through the draft and through free agency. So I really think they're trying to take a little bit more pressure off Josh Allen's shoulders so that when he does have to turn it on, he can turn it on and not have to do it every single play of every single game. Yeah, that could be. Uh, like I said, though, you know, he's the number one quarterback being taken in fantasy for, for a reason. People are reaching very high for him like they have on other quarterbacks in recent years. And I think that's for good reason. I think, I think they stay with the same game plan. They start throwing the ball. Yeah, I think they'll try and work the the running backs into the game, but I think they I think they start throwing the ball even more. And yeah, I, I I think I think this is the year for I think this is the year for Josh Allen and the Bills. Like I said, at least one team every year since 2012 have had at least two receivers in the top 16. And I think the I don't think it's going to be any different this year. Uh, but before we get out of here, I do want to report some. Late breaking news uh, just just dropped um, as I was finishing that last statement. DeAndre Ayton has agreed to a four-year, $133 million max offer with the Indiana Pacers, giving mm. the Phoenix Suns 48 hours to match. Uh, so we will definitely, hey. definitely touch on that next week and see where he ends up. Uh, real quick before we get out of here, you think the Suns match it? Ooh. I can't, I can't give you an... Ugh. Gut feeling, gut feeling. Suns match it. Gut feeling? No. My gut tells me they do. My gut tells me they do. I don't think they want to lose a talent like that for absolutely nothing. If anything, I think they'll work out a sign and trade. But that is going to bring us to the end of the episode. Stay tuned for next week where we'll be back, most likely talking some more fantasy football. We'll probably have some different rankings for you. Anything else you want to finish up with here, John? We're going to be moving into the fantasy world of things. We'll still touch on a little bit of the NBA. Um, like I said, if you guys have any other topics you want to touch on, let us know. You know, we're getting into crunch time of baseball a little bit, so we'll touch on that. But, uh, yeah, let us know in the comments what you guys want to hear. Um, we are we are uh, men of the people, and we love being able to do different stuff with you guys. So, um, as always, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick. And I'm the Ivory.